The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places, people and parts of London's history. In this episode, we look at the Metropolitan Board of Works, which is often referred to in historical podcasts. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see so many videos covering London and also the people of London as well. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. The Metropolitan Board of Works, MBW, was the upper tier of local government of London's metropolis. It upgraded the infrastructure between 1855 and 1887. Also, it had a Parks and Open Spaces Committee and opened up several landmark parks. The metropolis, which the board served, described three substantial corners of Middlesex, Surrey and Kent through the 33 and a quarter years leading up to the advent of county councils. This urban zone lay around the medieval-sized city of London, but plans to enact a similar body in 1837 failed. Parliament finally passed the Metropolis Management Act of 1855, which dissolved a short-lived building office and sewers commission and made the board effective as of December that year. The board endured until it was succeeded by the London County Council as its directly elected direct successor in March 1889. Its principal responsibility was to provide infrastructure to cope with the rapid growth of the metropolis, which it accomplished with varying degrees of success. The MBW was co-opted from boards, districts of vestries who were elected by their ratepayers rather than directly elected, but which during its period was separated into civil parishes, removing any residual Church of England ties. It was accountable to Parliament, but not to a particular minister to supervise accounts. This democratic deficit vexed journal critics and rate-paying Londoners, especially having grown in budget and been seen as a reliable contract source when some of its members and staff engaged in embezzlement, bribery and breach of fiduciary duty, unfair contract procurement and mismanagement. However, the national proliferation of such a tier of government on its demise recognised the advantages of the economies of scale in uniting districts in procuring, improving and maintaining energy, street lighting, firefighting, sanitation and transport in the same way as large, well-funded democratic, ministerially and accounting regulated municipal corporations have widely done since 1835. The growth of the city around the commercial city of London was continuing apace. As the British Empire grew, so the London docks had grown in trade. Population sharply grew and demand for housing rose, as did the building of homes. Half of the population of the two of the three counties that adjoined the medieval ward city definition were within a few miles of it. However, the government of this metropolis was chaotic, with over 100 key authorities having statutory or customary powers and much overlapping territory. 
Specifically, providing a rate-paid service or capital improvement in a given place sometimes needed the coordination or consent of many of these. In 1835, elected municipal boroughs had been set up covering every major city except London. The City of London, the very core of the sprawling metropolis, which keeps its medieval boundaries, was untouched by the Municipal Corporations Act of 1835 and resisted all moves to expand its borders to include the generally poorer districts surrounding it. This meant that the commissions, justices of the peace of the three counties, key landowners and powerful parish church vestries beneath them, had authority over the clearly urban area, the metropolis, Middlesex north of the Thames and west of the Lee, up to several miles from the city, Surrey to the south and southwest, and Kent as to the southeast. In 1837, an attempt was made to set up an elected authority covering the whole of the metropolis. However, the wealthier districts of Marylebone and Westminster resisted this, as some of their own local powers and low rates would have been lost. They defeated the motion. In 1854, the Royal Commission on the Corporation of the City of London proposed to divide an urban area around the City of London into seven boroughs, each represented on a Metropolitan Board of Works. This proposal was abandoned, but the next year the Board of Works was set up to cover all this. To empower this body to coordinate work and to plan and build infrastructure of the metropolis, Parliament passed the Metropolis Management Act of 1855, which created the Metropolitan Board of Works, which took over the responsibilities of the short-lived Metropolitan's Building Office and Metropolitan Commission of Sewers, established in 1845 and 1848 respectively. It covered the metropolis, the area designated London in 1851 census, an enlarged variant of the Bills and Mortality Act fixed in 1726. The alternative proposals had been the Metropolitan Police District, the coal tax area, or that used for the Metropolitan Immigrants Act of 1852. It was not to be a directly elected body, but instead to consist of members nominated by the vestries who were the principal local authorities. The larger vestries had two members and the City of London had three. A few vestries were for tiny parishes who co-convened into the district board for nominating members to the MBW. There were 45 members who would then elect a chairman who became the member ex officio. The first nominations took place in December and the board met first on the 22nd of December 1855 where John Thwaites was elected as chairman. The board took over the powers duties and liabilities of the Commission of Sewers and the Buildings Office on the 1st of January 1856. A major problem in London was sewage. Most of London's waste was allowed to flow into the Thames, resulting in horrendous smells in the summer months. In 1855 and 1858, there were especially bad summers with the latter being known as the Great Stink. A notable achievement of the board was the creation of the core London sewage system, including 75 miles, 120 kilometers of Maine, and 1,000 miles, 1,650 kilometers of street sewers, which solved the problem. A large part of the work of the MBW was under the charge of Chief Engineer Joseph Bazalgette, previously an engineer with the Metropolitan Commission of Sewers. Activities included slum clearance and making new streets to relieve traffic congestion. The most important streets were Charing Cross Road, Garrick Street, Southwark Street, and Northumberland and Shaftesbury Avenues. From 1869, the MBW brought all the private bridges across its section of the Tideway, Thames and freed them atolls. It also rebuilt Putney, Battersea, Waterloo and Hammersmith bridges. The board wanted to build a new bridge east of London Bridge, discussed for many years. In 1878, Basil drew up plans which were estimated at £1.25 million, equivalent to £129 million in 2021. 
the Treasury refused to help by upping the coal and wine duties, most of the board's income. The MWB advanced its plans, but saw its private bill, which included negotiated payments and similar, rejected by the House of Commons for lack of headroom for light shipping. The board funded the tree-studded surface in the three sections of its contractor design, Joseph Bazalgette's Thames Embankment, from 1864. From 1865, the MBW became responsible for administering the Metropolitan Fire Brigade. Architects employed by the MBW, who specialised in fire stations, included Robert Purcell, responsible for the Fulham Fire Station and Woolwich Fire Station. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. In 1856, the MBW obtained an amending Act of Parliament, giving them power to provide parks, pleasure grounds and open spaces, subject to parliamentary approval. Among the parks and open spaces acquired or laid by the board were Finsbury Park, Southwark Park, Victoria Embankment Gardens, Leicester Square, Wenwood Scrubs, Hampstead Heath, Battersea Park, Kennington Park, Victoria Park and the gardens surrounding Bethnal Green Museum, Clapham Common, Wandsworth Common, Ravenscourt Park. Dulwich Park. Under the Metropolitan Commons Act of 1878, the MBW obtained the right to purchase and hold saleable rights in common lands in the metropolis in order to preserve the right of public access. The board also purchased the manorial rights in Streatham Common and Tooting Common. The MBW had its first meeting in the Guildhall of the City of London and its headquarters at Greek Street in Soho. It then built its own headquarters at Spring Gardens, which became a metonym for the MBW designed by its first chief architect, Frederick Marable, and built in an Italianette style in 1859. When John Thwaites died in 1870, he was eventually replaced by James McGetton Hogg, who remained chairman until the MBW was abolished. There was an increase in the membership to 59 in 1885, when some district boards were divided and others were given more members. Few ratepayers and construction contractors thought the MBW were transparently rewarded or that their property deals and tendering amounted to a fair price in competition. Its status as a joint board insulated its members from any influence of popular opinion, though all the property owners had to pay for its work as part of their local government rates. Worse, the very many building contracts that were issued by the MBW made membership of it desirable for anyone wishing to bid for them. The MBW took most of its decisions in secret. There was a succession of corruption scandals in the late 1880s, which led to a Royal Commission investigation. By this time, the MBW had the moniker the Metropolitan Board of Perks. The nub of the scandal arose from the MBW's purchase of the old Pavilion Music Hall in Piccadilly Circus in 1859, when the site was thought to be necessary for the construction of Shaftesbury Avenue. As the street was still in the early stage, the site was leased to Music Hall proprietors R.E. Villiers. In addition to this, Villiers paid a small sub-rosa to F.W. Goddard, who was the chief valuer for the board, for favourable treatment. In 1883, Villiers met with Goddard and Thomas James Robinson, the MWB assistant surveyor, to ensure that the remainder of the site was granted to him for a new pavilion. They agreed to help him, in return for one corner becoming a public house under the lordship of W.W. Gray, who was the brother of Robinson, though this was not apparent. In November 1884, 
Robinson told Villiers that the time had come to make a formal offer to the MBW to rent the new site. Villiers offered £2,700 ground rent per year. The board instructed its superintendent architect, George Vallemi, to value the site. He was old and left practically all of the work to his subordinates, Goddard and Robinson, and it was said by the deputy chairman of the board that Mr. Goddard and Mr. Robinson were Mr. Vallemi. They prepared a report valuing the ground rent at £3,000, which Villiers immediately accepted. It was then hurriedly pushed through the board, which agreed it for a higher offer of £4,000. Ground rent was paid for 2,650 for the largest part and 350 pounds for the corner. Goddard continued collecting secret sums from Villiers and Gray took up the cheap corner plot. He sold his existing public house on Titchburn Street and divided the 10,000 pound profit between Goddard and Robinson. In December 1886, Villiers sold the pavilion and gave 5,000 pounds to Goddard. For years, vague hints had been made that the board tended to encourage those applying for leases to employ members of the board as architects. In particular, James Saunders had been appointed as the chief architect on the pavilion, on the Grand Hotel and the Metropole Hotel on Northumberland Avenue. On land owned by the board, did little to design and oversight. Francis Fowler, although he had done much other work as a board member, had taken money from site owners and leasees in circumstances which clearly indicated bribery. At lowest level, MBW's assistant architect John Hebb had responsibility for inspecting theatres for safety. He began to write to the managers of the theatres with upcoming inspections to suggest that they might want to send him free tickets. Given the power of the board to close theatres, most complied. However, displeased by the inspections themselves and by the attempt to extract gifts, the managers tended to send Hebb tickets for seats that were at the back of the house or hidden behind a pillar. The Goddard-Robinson scandal was revealed by a series of articles in the financial news, beginning on the 25th of October 1886. The board itself undertook an incompetent investigation under the chairman of the board, which found Robinson was allowing relatives to become tenants of the board without informing the board, but could not find anything worthy of more severe censure. Anti-board campaigners were not pleased and kept up the pressure. On the motion of Lord Randolph Churchill, who represented Paddington South, where the anti-board feeling was at its highest, the House of Commons voted on the 16th of February 1888 to establish a Royal Commission to inquire into the board. The new commission was headed by Lord Herschel and found the main allegations of the financial news to have been correct and indeed understated. Some other scandals were also discovered, including the corruption of architects who were members of the board. However, the commission repudiated the view of the critics that corruption was endemic in the board. While the Royal Commission was still preparing its hearings, the President of the Local Government Board, Charles Ritchie, announced that the elected city councils were to be created throughout the United Kingdom. Without much opposition, the bill had clauses that, on passage through into an act, divorced the MBW's ambit from the Power Week Quaker Sessions and other courts of Surrey, Middlesex and Kent to turn it into a county with an elected London County Council. This matched the aims of the anti-board campaigners, principally the London Municipal Reform League. The Metropolitan Board of Works was abolished by the Local Government Act of 1888 and the London City Council had been elected on the 21st of January 1889 to assume its new powers on the 1st of April. With the MBW a lame duck, its last weeks were its most inglorious period. The LCC were due to assume financial responsibility and the MBW began to award large pensions to retiring officers and large salaries to those who would transfer. The MBW then decided to allow the Samaritan Hospital in Marylebone to use an additional 12 feet of pavement, which the LCC opposed. 
The LCC wrote to the MBW asking it not to take the decision. The MBW did not reply and gave the permission. Finally, the MBW received the tenders for the Blackwall Tunnel and decided to take a decision to award the contract at its final meeting. The LCC again wrote asking the MBW to leave the decision to them. The chairman of the MBW replied on the 18th of March 1889 that it intended to continue. At this, the LCC decided to appeal to the government, which exercised its power to abolish the MBW and bring the LCC into existence on the 21st of March 1889. The magazine Punch printed a cartoon to mark the abolition of the MBW, entitled Peace to its Hashes, representing the MBW by a black suit of armour, i.e. blackmail. The citation lauded the MBW for showing how jobbery may be evaluated to the level of the fine arts. The MBW's headquarters by Admiralty Arch, off the Mall, were taken over by the LCC until County Hall was complete in 1922. It was renamed Old County Hall and was a satellite office until the 100-year lease expired in 1958. It became used for central government and was demolished in 1971 for new headquarters of the British Council. So, I hope you've enjoyed our look at the Metropolitan Board of Works. And who would have known such bribery and corruption would have happened way back then? If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places that you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or through our social media. It's that easy. Thanks for listening, and really hope you've enjoyed our podcast, and we'll see you soon on the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one.